The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports, I'm Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. And uh, it's Wednesday. We've got a special guest coming in here later today, Cole Kubelik from the SEC Network, former Auburn offensive lineman, will be joining the show as we preview the SEC spring games this weekend and other spring games this weekend because it is that time of year. I've got the windows open down here in my office because it's 75 degrees outside and sunny. It's going to be in the 80s. I'm going to have to turn the AC on. It's like I'm down in Florida with you boys right now. No, no Tom. We I, I might need the heat today, dude. It is weird down here. We, we, are, we are sitting at 71. Look at that. Oh. God, to get you a coat or a jacket or something, you're going to freeze down there. I wore socks last night in bed. I was like, this is cold, man. <laughs> like, it, one of those times, like, you don't really want to go full extra blanket you pull out, but it was, it was, it got down to the 50s last night. Danny, you, you warm, you staying okay? Yeah, I'm dealing with green. I got, I got green. That's oh, what we're getting, yeah. Just blasted that. with thunderstorms, killing the get, golf game. Getting oh, that man. Florida springtime. Whoa, you really are. Like, look, the, the, the <laughs> South Florida compared to compared to Central Florida today is that is tremendously different. Blasted. If wow. you if you enjoy weather and weather reports and this show, make sure you hit that little subscribe button down below the video. It's it feels good because like you click it and then the thumbs up, which is empty, fills up and it just gives you a little dopamine rush, makes you feel good the rest of the day. And also, if you do like the show because you're here watching it and you haven't subscribed yet. Why don't you do that? That way you'll get notifications, let you know, not only when we're going live, but when all our other videos are posted, because it's not just the live shows. We have our shorts. We have our segments that we break out and do that you'll enjoy and help you when you're, you know, perusing on YouTube, getting your college football fix. That's what we are here for. But uh, moving past that, 
we do have some news to discuss. Like things have happened, which is a very rare thing in April for the most part when it comes to college football. But the ACC is reportedly, I don't know if it's official yet. It's not official yet, is it? Uh, I mean, enough people have reported that this was signed about two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know why they wouldn't announce this. Yeah, Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, is signing an extension with the league. Happened that that report comes out probably a few hours before the Big Ten report started that it had found its new commissioner. But I think we'll start with Jim Phillips getting the ACC job, getting the ACC extension. He was a candidate for the Big Ten job. He had been working as the athletic director at Northwestern before getting the ACC commissioner job. Did this come as a surprise to you guys or was this expected? I really didn't know how to handicap the Big Ten commissioner race, right? Like, I, I just I don't have great sources inside of like the Big Ten president's offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some people within the ACC think Phillips has done a, a solid job, and I think other people think he's probably done a solid job relative to uh, the the hand he was dealt, right? He he is not the one who had the whole Raycom deal and, and the, the ESPN, uh, you know, potentially really bad deal that they signed and uh, the ACC obviously has a bit of a an issue on its hand going forward does it have a couple teams try to bolt does it have enough teams try to bolt to maybe form their own league and cut out probably the five or six true uh like hangers on that don't win anything but but take an equal share if you, or does nobody bolt right D- does the grant of rights really hold true how would phillips handle any of those situations can they actually make more money for the league i know they've hired some consulting firms to check that out I, I, I don't know. A uh, lot, lot of questions there going forward, not immediately, but in, in the long term. And some of those questions may just be settled for them by, by the courts. Like I think of, of all the leagues out there, when we had Matt Brown on uh, and, 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 and Sam and, and Will, they were all pretty much in agreement that we're going to have like player employee status within the next half decade. And it's probably like whatever Congress do with NIL now probably won't matter all that much because they're not going to get a, a law saying that these guys aren't employees. So conference-wise, is there a conference that is more likely to have a decent number of teams say, yeah, we're not into this player employee model. We're, we're going to drop down than the ACC among the power fives. Danny, probably. Um, oh, who? Um, you're saying which conference would be more likely to drop down and, and fight the, and the player employee model? Well, to have like a significant number of teams be like, yeah, we're just not interested in, in playing. Oh, I would say the like, Pac-12, don't you think? Yeah, that's Cal, with, the remaining, with the remaining teams. Sure. And yeah, that's, that's, the deal. that's where I would say. I, you know, it's interesting, Tom, because you said, you know, has it been announced yet? This to me felt like a, PR, like a class in PR because would you rather get out in front? I don't think the ACC had anything prepared, but I did think they want the news to get out there. Because if you would have had the Big Ten commissioner announced and then, oh, by the way, Jim Phillips is getting an extension, yep. then it would have looked like, oh, he, you know, it was our you know fallback, whatever the appearance of it was. I think they floated it because they were able to keep him. And I think it was a huge move for the ACC. I think he's the right guy for the job. I think he is willing to push that envelope and he's exploring all options to keep the conference intact and keep it in a healthy position. And I think it's I think it's one of those moves too where we can break down the Big Ten commissioner as well. But like I think when you have a legacy on the line, if he can salvage the ACC and somehow you know keep it intact through the next 10 years, let alone the five, by keeping Florida State, Clemson, some of those other players, Miami happy, I think you talk about a legacy where he could potentially play that role into something even bigger. 
Well, it's it is interesting because I think the job that he's got is so much different than a lot of the other conferences. And when you look at the hires that they've made, because like they've they've made hires that are with the TV deals in mind, and the ACC's TV deal right now is not. I mean, it's the top of the list of things they need to fix, but it's one of those things they can't really get out of. So you're hiring somebody who with more of an administrative experience, who could kind of deal with all the stuff that's going on in that conference with some schools wanting to push for unequal revenue distribution to get them more to help, you know, to, re- to align with what they're spending compared to what some of the other schools are spending. But then now you compare that to the Big Ten. Kevin Warren comes in. His primary job when he's hired is get us a big TV deal. So he does that. And then he's leaving to go back to the NFL to go to the Bears to help them build their new stadium in the suburbs, just like he helped the Vikings do before he got the Big Ten job. But then the Big Ten replaces him with Tony Petiti, which, hey, Paisan, how are you? Welcome to the Big Ten. <laughs> but his background is in television. Like he was he was an MLB advanced media, I think. Or no, he was like the COO. He was like Rob Manfred. He, he replaced Rob Manfred when Manfred became the commissioner. But he also, he's, you know, he's worked with CBS Sports. He's got a lot of background in television as a television executive. And it was kind of surprising to me in that the Big Ten, which just signed its TV deal, oh, was hiring a commissioner whose experience is in TV. Like, isn't this the time where you'd kind of want the Jim Phillips hire? You want somebody who can administer and kind of deal with everybody. So that to me is surprising. So I'll just float this guys out to you. Let's, let's recklessly speculate on this one. Are they hiring somebody with TV experience because they plan to have to do a new TV deal in the near future after they add more schools. Danny, what do you think? Is this me? I that like the way you're going because I, you know, I was thinking about this. What does Tony Petiti do for six years? You know, until this next TV deal, I don't think he stands pat. I don't think he said still, you mentioned uh, some of his uh, history there also helped create the BCS. So I think he's an innovative, you know, mind. He's passionate about college football. I think it is expansion. I think that's on the table. And I think just all of the wealth. And I think there's an interesting you know, you look at the hires that have been been made at all of these jobs. They've all come from the world of entertainment. You know, TV, entertainment with Klyovkov, Yormark, um, and now that you've got Petiti in the play. And I, I think there's a, a absolute reason for that because that's where all the money is. And I don't think he's going to come in and just, you know, sit back, kick his feet up, and just kind of monitor things. I think he's going to be active and try to. We were talking about legacy with Jim Phillips. I think that, and then the other big thing is which conference is going to step up and take the lead on the player-employee model. You know, and I, my guess would be that would be Sankey. I think he's more aggressively thinking, but maybe it's the Big Ten. They have a ton of money that they could dole out as well. So I think that's the other major issue that's on the table for, you know, Petiti is, you know, he just takes the job. That's actually an interesting thing that I didn't even consider because Petiti has the experience working with MLB, which had a players union, which is something he probably dealt with. So maybe that's the thinking is like, hey, if we're going to be if this is going to be the next step, maybe that's what we're going to see. But, yeah, it's it's weird with conference commissioners when they're coming from outside of college football, because it's like, I I don't know. I have absolutely no idea what this guy's going to be able to do. (laughs) All right. Uh. I think it's a good time. Our guest is here. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to go to the break. And after we come back, Cole Kubelik will join us as we start our breaking down the SEC spring games and all the other SEC spring games from the weekend. Next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yes, that's right. The CBS Sports Galazzo Network, the first of its kind, free 24-7 channel dedicated exclusively to global soccer coverage, is now streaming on the CBS Sports app. Pluto TV and Paramount Plus. You can get your morning started off on the right foot with Morning Footy, our weekday soccer culture driven morning show beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern. Plus, don't miss the rest of our top notch programming, including live matches and re airs of original studio shows, highlights, documentaries, and much more. The CBS Sports Galazzo Network. It's the only 24 7 soccer network going right now. So if you love soccer, and I'm wearing a shirt that says Calcio on it, so you know that I do, it is the one place you want. <laughs> want to be so I'm, I'm really excited about it i was watching it yesterday on its debut they did an excellent job and like it says we've got live matches so it's not just studio shows it's not just highlights there will be live matches shown on the network as well so when i bet soccer now i might actually watch the game as opposed to looking at my accounts and see if the bets won like that that's, right. that's a, like, i'm, I'm going to support the network and i'm a company man so let's let's get that morning sweat <laughs> Speaking of morning sweats, Cole racing home from the studio <laughs> to get in, get on the podcast. Cole, welcome to the Cover Three podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. No one let me know that Danny was a part of this, or I'm not sure I would have agreed to it. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's still good to be here either way. So yeah, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready for it. We're coming at you, guns blazing. Let's do this thing. All oh, right. Man. So uh, I guess. You know, we had, we, we had Auburn last weekend that ended. We talked about that on Monday in a 24-24 tie. I want your thoughts on that, Cole. What are, what, what do you think about spring games ending in a tie? Uh, I don't really care because there, I mean, there's, there's really no winner, no loser in a spring game, regardless of how you look at it. Um, it was tough to kind of have real takeaways from that game. I think you kind of had to dive in and specifically go look at some individuals that – okay, who who's going to show up on this roster that can help Auburn improve at a certain spot from a year ago? Who are guys that are going to contribute? As far as the scheme offensively, I think you saw how it'll even things out to potentially be able to run the ball a little bit better. A lot of that based on quarterback run. We saw a lot of that because of the weather, and there weren't many throws. And that's what we needed to see, what we wanted to see. And, and I don't think just for the quarterback's perspective, my biggest question mark right now for Auburn's wide receiver. I, I don't think they have that guy. I don't think they have a true X receiver, an eraser, a guy who can – because if you're going to have a quarterback that's not elite, and let's just be real, Auburn's not, you got to have some guys that help them. And that could be a running back that has 30, 35 carries, but it could be a receiver or two that make life a little bit easier. Hey, throw me that back shoulder, man. I'll go get it. And I, I think there's a guy like Ronaldo Fairweather, the, the FIU transfer at tight end. It could be a flex guy that can really help. Um, Javaris Johnson may be in the slot, but do they have that guy that's going to get 80, 90 targets this year that can be that sort of receiver? I don't, I don't think so. 
They'll try to attack it in the portal. You know, you, you go get a big, tall receiver from Cincinnati and Nick Mardner, who's kind of a, an in-between tweener guy. Uh, but I don't think he has the speed to, to break away or, or the elusiveness to be open on a regular basis. So I think they're solid at running back. You saw a little bit of that. Uh, I think Sean Jackson will help them at running back. Nobody's really talking about him, but he's a physically a different type back. They have upgraded the talent immensely along the offensive line. Dylan Wade is that dude at left tackle. He's an NFL left tackle. Uh, you get Avery Young at center from ECU. I think he'll help. Xavier Miller, the junior college tackle, who's the number one Juco tackle in the country. I wanted to see him because I can't find junior college tape. I don't know if it even – it's kind of like the Pac-12 network. I don't even know if it's out there. <laughs> but got to see Xavier at right tackle a little bit. Didn't love what I saw, honestly. Bit of a backbender. Uh, technically, fundamentally, he's got a way to go if he's going to be able to help. And then the quarterback thing's just kind of going to be what it is. I, I think Hugh can help whoever it is take a few steps and be better than maybe what we saw last year, if it's Robbie or if it's TJ Finley or even Holden Garner. But I do think if there's a certain someone, and there's a couple of them in the portal, that Auburn and Hugh Freeze would consider attacking that guy and trying to get them on the roster as well. Interestingly, uh, I don't know if you guys caught this last night, Hayden Wolf from Old Dominion, uh, who has one year left to play. He's from Florida. Uh, his coach, Ricky Ronnie, he jumped in the portal last night. His coach, Ricky Ronnie, said uh, it, he really has different off-field pursuits than what we can give him up here and really wants to get closer to home. So it's like I'm trying to like rack my brain. Okay, what programs in the state of Florida will get there? Might need a very experienced quarterback uh, or close. You know, Auburn is fairly close to Florida. So uh, who knows? Cole, I, I had a question for you on this. Is Auburn's offensive line – better than its defensive line? And if so, when is the last time you can say that about the Tigers? Um, 2010, maybe. Uh, so you think, you think mean, it is? Um, I would say it's it's a little bit of an unknown still, bud, but that, that was actually one of the areas that I think I came away from with some confidence on this Auburn team heading into this season because uh, Nasil Kite, the transfer from Maryland, I think he's going to help. And, and that's what I talk about from an individual perspective. I saw him strike and shed a couple of times. He won a few one-on-one -on -one pass rush drills, not, not drills, but reps. And so you look at him and you say, okay, he's a little bit different body type from your typical SEC interior defensive lineman. But when I watched him at Maryland, he gets sideline to sideline really well. I, I think he'll help. Justin Rogers can flat out play. Now he's not, as loose as a Derrick Brown was or a Marlon Davidson was, but he'll hold the point inside. And Auburn hasn't had that in a while. Um, Jason Jones, you know, big Oregon transfer, did some nice things last year. Consistency's got to come along. Um, and, and then I think, too, you know, there, there are a couple of other guys that, talking to Jimmy Brumbaugh, who was a D-line coach last year, he was really excited about their progression. You get a big D-tackle from Purdue, and I think they can help a little bit. The only reason that I may lean offensive line right now is there's no real edge presence. And, and I think when we talk D-line, we, we sort of include that this day and age. Like, you've got to be able to get it off the edge. I don't know if Auburn has that guy, but I actually came away with a lot of confidence on the interior of that Auburn defensive line. Like, Jeffrey Emba is one of those players, the, the, I mean, the, the sky's the limit, but he just hadn't played a ton of football in his life, much less college. So I think he could be a guy that comes on and helps him. It's just, I think right now it's interior heavy as to what Auburn is going to be up front on defense. But I also don't think the O-line has any depth, so it's hard to just say that that group's a whole lot better than the defense. 
When you look at this weekend, hopefully we get better weather because it's a spring of Palooza, right? There's just a, a ton. I mean, this is like the mecca of spring football games. Let's go to Georgia. Uh, we'll go to Athens because they're going to have some new faces, whether it be a quarterback, whether it be an offensive coordinator, whether it be you know a slew of defensive guys that are going to get drafted yet again. We haven't seen a team three-peat in some time. The schedule is favorable. Why wouldn't Georgia repeat? Or three-peat, excuse me. Did you just say favorable? Oh, it's a cakewalk. And, that, and yeah, that's, sorry, from, Dan, that's from Danny Cannell. That, that, yeah. that, that is, that, I'm trying to play nice. That's, that's an olive branch. That's the biggest pass you've ever given an SEC team in the history of your life. It's not that's even a, a cakewalk. We had a guy call in on our show this morning and say, oh, I don't think that – I think the Georgia schedule is harder than people think just because Georgia's that good. <laughs> I was like, bro, have you looked at it? The the first, the second best team is not on the schedule. The third best team is not on the schedule. And I think AM might be the fourth best team. They're not on the schedule. So you're talking about outside of Georgia, who's probably the best team. Four of the top five teams are not from the league are not on the schedule. And then the non-conference is a joke. I mean, UAB's having they're changing head coaches with Trent Dilfer coming in. Brent Key's taking over Georgia Tech. Yeah, UT Martin and somebody else that's not going to have a chance to beat Georgia. It's it's as light of an SEC schedule as I've seen in a very long time. There just don't feel like there's a lot of scary games. Now, the reason that they wouldn't is you get into either the SEC championship game against an Alabama or an LSU, or you get to the playoff against a – and I don't know if there are a ton of teams that I look at nationally right now and say, oh, plug them in, they're going to be really good. So somebody's going to have to step up and probably be better than we think they are, Danny, if Georgia's not going to. Because let's be real, could they run the regular season, lose to LSU by a touchdown and still possibly get in? There'd be a good chance because it's not an automatic USC. It's not an automatic Washington. It's not an automatic Texas or Ohio State or even Michigan right now. I think there's a lot of question marks for a lot of those teams. The reason that they wouldn't play in simple as quarterback, and you can say what you want about Stetson Bennett, where he'll be drafted, how much he'll play in the NFL. He was a damn good college quarterback. Mm -hmm. and He ran it the way they needed him to run it. When they needed plays with his legs, with his arm, he found ways to make them. And even though he didn't throw for 5,000 yards, that goes a long way at any level of football. So to be able – and I just don't know if for year the, the third year in a row, Kirby can have those guys brainwashed to the point that – no one thinks they can win a game and they're not going to win their division and they can't beat Alabama or LSU. Like, I, Can they overcome all that again? Because I think culture was a massive reason they won that title last year. Yes, talented. Yes, good team. Great coaching. But culture aided them greatly. Can that culture bleed over again into this year? We, we don't know. We don't know what the leadership is going to be like and what it's going to allow. But why not Georgia? I, I would I would offer up this point as far as far as like one thousand foot view of it. There's a ton of really good quarterbacks in college football, and if they catch one of those guys on a team that's hot at that moment, that could be one that sort of keeps them from doing it for the third year in a row. They almost did last year in the semis. Mm -hmm. There you yeah. go, absolutely. You know, I mean, but that that leads to another question because that happened in the semis. Now, before I get to the question, though, I do want to point out. Probably the biggest question in Georgia going into next season is can Ugga 11 live up to Ugga 10's status? Because Ugga 10 won back-to-back -back titles. The only Ugga in history to do that. Ugga 11's got a lot of weight on his shoulders. Good luck to him. But Can't you just roll him out there one more year? Like, for good I luck? Prefer, like, I mean, I I prefer, prefer, dogs don't live real long, man. 
It's boom. The new dog is boom. The old dog was Q. Okay. I don't know. I didn't know this until last year that we had been brainwashed thinking these dogs were named Ugga for so long. But some people know that. I didn't know that. And I played against them. Hell, one of them almost bit one of my teammates. Ugga five, I, I, wasn't it? Well, he had a different name. I don't know what that one was uh, named. He was Mike the Auburn player. That was his name. <laughs> but no, we met, like Bud, you just mentioned, Georgia ran into a hot quarterback in the semi. We talked about the schedule. It's not even a cakewalk. What happens, though, if Georgia loses a regular season game? With that schedule, do you think one loss like completely takes them out of the playoff picture? Or do you think that the fact that they won two national titles would keep them in the hunt? Yeah, no that's, that's, it's, it's one of the unfortunate realities of college football, and that is perception goes a long way in this game. Your helmet, your logo, what you have done recently can carry you for a very long time. And sometimes that's good. Most of the time, it, it's probably not. Because there have been a few times that one of those teams has gotten in, and we may have said, oh, well, that's just because they're this team, and then they go win it. And, and they look, you know, like take Alabama-Georgia in the SEC championship game a couple of years ago. Oh, well, Georgia's just back in it because of what they've done recently, and they're Georgia, and they're an SEC team. Well, then they look pretty convincing and going on to win a national championship. But I would say, unfortunately, unless it's a 40-point blowout to a sub-500 team, I think they have a great chance of still getting in if they lose a game in the regular season because of just where Georgia is perceived to be right now by so many people. And that's hard as a human being to get that out of your brain and selectively start over every year. Not many people can do that. Not many people can make themselves at the beginning of a football season say, clean slate, don't care what happened, don't care who's back. I just want to watch the games and then make a decision of who I think is better than the other team. That rarely happens. Follow up to that. If Georgia does not win the SEC title game, should they be in the playoff given their schedule? Some of that is dependent on what everybody else has done. How many other teams are truly deserving? Are we, are we weighing them against two lost teams from conferences that don't have a lot of great teams in their league? So uh, some of that's dependent, bud. Um, I always, I mean, it's, and listen, I'm not saying it should never happen. I hate a team losing and then getting in. Like I just, yes. it's just, I just, I, I, I don't love it. I know sometimes it has to happen. It probably should happen based on, because it still should be body of work last year. For some reason, I felt like we heard more what this team is now, what this team is today, what this team's hot now. Why the hell do we play the first five or six games of the season? Like just start at week eight and then see who's the hottest team is. I do think your body of work should still count. There are injuries. There are different guys that show up and play better or play worse. A lot of different things can happen. There can be bad matchups in a certain week. But I, I'm a fan of the body of work should still count. What you did early, what you did the middle of the season, what you did late should all play a part in whether or not you get into the playoff. Well, speaking of Georgia's schedule, the toughest game on the Bulldogs' schedule this year is probably the road game at Tennessee. Like, if, if we're being honest, like, yeah, at Auburn, rivalry game going to be tough. You got the rivalry game against Florida and Jacksonville. But to get Tennessee on the road towards the end of the year, that could be a game for the SEC East division title based on how they how they played. So in your mind, coming off of what would be, I, I think you have to consider it a surprising season. Nobody saw Tennessee being as good as it was. Like, a lot of us thought it was probably going to be pretty decent. Nobody thought it was going to be number one for a while. Nobody thought it was going to be knocking off Alabama, competing for a playoff spot. How clear is it to you that Tennessee is the number two team in the East, or do you think there's a chance that they're the best team in the East this year? 
I do not believe that there's any chance in hell that they're the best team in the East. That's the that was our producer's thing. question. He's a big no one <laughs> going to believe that. I will give Damian Mitchell, my producer on my show on Jocks and Birmingham credit. He picked Tennessee to win 10 games last year before the season. And we all told him how crazy he was. So he, he actually nailed that one. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a chance it could be Kentucky as the second best team in the East. I think there's a chance that South Carolina could be the second best team in the East. Now, if you're going confidence points, uh, Tennessee may still just inch ahead of those teams right now. Um, but there are massive questions. Joe Milton can do things physically that are unbelievable. But we haven't seen him just manage an offense in a very long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did it against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt wasn't a great football team last year. And he did it against Clemson in a bowl game. None of us are taking true long-term definitives from bowl games. And if you are, just stop. That's the only thing I'll say to you. Just They're fun. Enjoy them for what they are. But don't take the, something from a bowl game and think that that is going to be exactly what it is 12 months from now or 14 months from now. Joe, Joe does some incredible things. And that system – helps some of those things that he does but does he have a curveball does he have a changeup? can he alternate speed and velocity on some of his passes if he can't then tennessee's going to see a lot more three and outs this year because they lose their two best offensive linemen they lose the best tackle in the league last year in darnell Wright. they might not be able to run the ball in the same way and this offense is, is a bear to defend but all these coordinators have now seen it multiple times you have a little better idea outside of, you know, game planning for it, maybe some in the spring and one week in the fall of what's going to work and what's not going to work. The receiving core is also going to be very different. I mean, Jalen Hyatt was unbelievable last year. Uh, you know, you had another receiver that's going to come off the board late first, early second that didn't play the entire year, but he was great when he was there. You lose one of your tight ends, which was a big help a season ago. And let's be real, the defense wasn't good last year. It just wasn't. So and you lose some key pieces to that group as well. I've, it's just hard for me to sit back and say Tennessee's going to win 10 again. Do I think they can be exciting? Do I think they can get a team or two they're not supposed to but still have a good year? I do. If Kentucky finish, figures out their offensive line, hell, they're as explosive as anybody in the league at wide receiver. This is the best group of Kentucky receivers I've ever seen. And I've paid attention to Kentucky football for a long time. Now, they also haven't had a – it's not like we're talking about the Florida receiver room or the LSU receiver room, but it's still – it's the best they've ever had. you got a quarterback with a ton of experience. Brad White's a great defensive coordinator. Now Liam Cohen comes back to work the offense. And Ray Davis is their tailback, who I thought was maybe the most underrated player in the league last year. They, they have a chance is all I'm saying. South Carolina, if they can take some of the magic of Spencer Rattler at the end of last year and consistently get that across the course of a year – Juice Wells, I think, is the best receiver coming back in the SEC. You got a big group of tight ends that could help. You got a couple of different options at tailback. I think a lot of your defensive line is back. And keep in mind, Jordan Strong comes back, led the nation in sacks two years ago at Georgia State, and Mo Kaba comes back at linebacker. If those two are healthy, they lost them early last year. Maybe Clayton White's defense is a little bit better. So I think there are a couple of coin flip teams after Georgia that could be there and, and reasons they might not be there. And I would include Tennessee in that category. Let's Cole's got me juiced about Kentucky. I was not expecting that coming into the show today. Right. Um, I just saw the Florida Gators are a nine-point underdog against Utah week one. Um, you didn't I thought you were going to say against themselves in the spring game tomorrow. Well, that, but... <laughs> might be that too. I mean, that doesn't bode well for Billy Napier. What are your expectations for the Gators this year? There's a lot of question marks, Danny. I, I, I'm a, I'll start with this. I'm a big Billy Napier fan. 
I, I love the way that he managed things. I, I love the culture aspect of how he tries to build a program, how he has built a program in the past there at Louisiana. He did have some certain advantages and how that thing was going. Um, I don't love the quarterback situation. And I, I've, I've heard a lot of people this spring tell me that Graham Mertz comes to practice and watches film and is in the locker room. And so we should get excited about that. I don't get excited about people doing the stuff they're supposed to do. Like do some things that we don't expect you to do. And then I'll get a little bit excited about it. Uh, you know, that's like, that's like telling me I had a great practice because none of my shotgun snaps went over the quarterback's head. Well, that's what we're supposed to do for that day. I mean, do some things that are not anticipated by you on a daily basis as a college football player. And I might be wowed. Um, I think the offensive line could be fine. You know, they've added a few pieces there that I think could help. I don't know if the Baylor transfers in school, out of school, leaving, not leaving. He was going to help, but I have no idea. He said he was coming back, but now there's like reports out there that he messed up his shoulder before he did the transfer portal announcement. And maybe it's kind of emotional decision, but like there's questions as to his availability for the fall was the last thing I had read on Swamp 24-7. So Okay. If he uh, if he's there, he's gonna help. And and I think he's a guy that they could have relied upon. I just I don't think they're going to be dynamic at quarterback. They're not what they have been at wide receiver, but they're probably a little bit better than some people give them credit for. Um, I think running back can be fine, but it's just Florida has been great at times because they have players that you can't manage, that you can't deal with at a lot of different positions, edge, defensive tackle, wide receiver, tight end, quarterback. Where are those guys that teams are not going to have answers for? Now, Billy's scheme can overcome a lot of that because of how they even things out. You take advantage of bootlegs, play actions, throwback, split zone, motion. There's a lot of visual deception that can help them find yards, and that was a lot of it last year. I mean, they weren't just bulldozing people at the point of attack and had running backs that could run through everybody. I do think Montreal Johnson's underrated. I think he's a really solid college football tailback. You have a changeup with ATN that can help. They're just not, not going to score 35 or 40 a game. So defensively, can can they find a way with Austin Armstrong coming in to get enough stops to go win eight, nine, ten games? I, it's going to be tough. And I, and I love Austin, too. I think Austin's a brilliant defensive mind. I know a lot of people don't know much about him and haven't been around him. He's going to be great. He will be great. And I, that defense, I think, just from a an understanding standpoint, uh, being where they're supposed to be and knowing what to expect and where to go and how to get there is going to be better. Uh, he is a great teacher of the game from what I've observed with him. So I think that helps Florida, but they're just plain and simple. They're not dynamic enough at enough spots to be a great football team this year. All right. So let, let's go on that, that Austin Armstrong thing. He, he was hired initially to most likely be linebackers coach at Alabama. He came from, from Southern Miss where I agree. I thought he did a really good job just based on, on what the golden Eagles defense did. Florida loses Patrick Tony to the Arizona Cardinals. I think who was their DC yep. At UF, Florida's defense was was pretty poor last year. They had a couple bright spots. Ventura Miller, when he was in there, was a good player. Did, and Saban hired Kevin Steele. I, I know Alabama doesn't play this weekend, but I have to ask you, since you're in the state, did Saban make a mistake not just going and, and ripping the Band-Aid and putting Austin Armstrong as the D.C.? Or do you think the, the comfort level of having a guy that he really knows is Steele is, is worth going with Steele? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reference it as a mistake. Um, I think if you were going to call it a mistake, you you maybe look at that long term. 
and saying, okay, you, you could have had Austin Armstrong for six or eight years. I, I don't know how much longer Nick but was thinking Nick? about going. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, they had, but they had seven former college defensive coordinators on their staff last year. Mm-hmm. Seven. And now some of those were off the field roles. Um, but like, I mean, Nick was one of them. Uh, T-Rob was one of them. Uh, Dave Huxtable was one of them. And then obviously you had your actual defense coordinator, Pete Golding. I mean, the list just went, South Sinceria was there. It just went on and on and on. Charles Kelly was there. So I, I don't, and most of those, a lot of those guys are gone, but they, they, they have guys that have coordinated defense before coaching different positions. So the brain trust of defensive mind power is not going to be lacking in Tuscaloosa. So I don't, I wouldn't reference it as a mistake. I do think that that Nick probably didn't want someone to come in and him to have to sort of re-instruct the majority of what they want to do on that side of the ball. And with Kevin, he's not going to have to do that. And I also I also wonder, too, putting someone in that kind of a spot that's a little bit younger and there's still some unknowns between the two of you, I, I'm not sure Nick wants to take that chance right now. So he'll, he'll go get somebody who he knows if he MFs them, He's going to be, they're going to, they'll turn the page and they're fine five minutes later. He might not know how Austin's going to react to that. So I, I think that's one of the reasons Pete stayed around as long as he did is they were, they were almost too much on the same page, in my opinion, where they were almost so in line in their thinking that I, I feel like it, it almost hurt Alabama's defense at times. But I'm not one of those guys that think Pete's terrible, like a lot of Bama fans. So I, I, I don't know if it's a mistake. Because I think that there are there are parts of that program that Nick wants to keep so the same that Kevin probably will end up being the better option. There's two like major what ifs going on, like with, with both Florida and, and Alabama. With Florida, to me, it's what, what if they had successfully finished the Michael Pratt thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like within my state, everybody just the rumor mill was crazy that Michael Pratt was going to jump from Tulane to Florida. Like I know people at Florida who expected it, right? And then it, I think Willie Fritz got that thing shut down. Their NIL kicked into Tulane, and Florida does not end up with one of the best quarterbacks in college football. They end up with a guy who has some physical talent in Mertz, but obviously is not is not Pratt. And with, with Bama, I, I think there's the obvious Jeremy Pruitt thing hanging out there, right? A lot of people thought if they could get that done, Pruitt would be the DC or <clears throat> shadow DC as an analyst, right? Depending on what kind of HR stuff you could work out there, and then that apparently is is completely shut down as well. So fascinating to see those. Uh, I'll. I'll pivot us here to the final East team, and then we'll take our break. South Carolina, I kind of like them on the edges and their skill, and now I have real concerns about line of scrimmage because I go over my, my preseason notes last year. Like, this should be their best O-line in the while. Super yep. experienced. Now they're not super experienced. And on D-line, I do score transfers based on, like, did you transfer up and are going to start to a, a program? And, like, Oregon's a better program in South Carolina. Florida State's a better program in South Carolina. They lost two defensive starters there on the D-line to Oregon and, and Florida State, two teams that are, you know, legit playoff hopefuls. Um, I'm yep. curious, like, how confident are you on lines of scrimmage for the Gamecocks? Uh, I'm not very confident in in the offensive line at all. It's, it's my biggest concern for that team. Um, you mentioned it, Jovan Gwynn, Dylan Wanham, guys who had played a ton of football, even Nate Atkins, kind of that H fullback, tight end, whatever you wanted to call him. He helped with a lot of that stuff last year, and he'll be that that's a group that that has to find their way. And and I do think this offense will be a little more quarterback friendly under Dowell. I think that the terminology will ease up a little bit. Like I think Satterfield can coach offense, but it was it was wordy. It was lengthy. There's 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 no secret to that. And you had a guy in Spencer that went from, you know, red 18 was a, a literal play call 
to we've all heard that West Coast paragraph of a play call that can come out. And so I think there are some confusion and some difficulties there. But I, I'm not real confident in the offensive line. Um, Nick Garguilo, I believe I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, a Yale the transfer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Now, I did not know this. Uh, Ivy League kids cannot play as graduates. I, I didn't know that was a real mm-hmm. thing. But he wanted to keep playing football, and that's why he's there. He didn't necessarily just want to leave Yale. And Yale also names one captain a year, one, and, and he was that guy. So for an offensive lineman to get that for any team, I think it's pretty impressive. He has brought in some physicality, some, some nasty to that group. I think he'll help, but it, that, they don't need help at one spot. They have some experience. I think they love their incoming freshman group of offensive linemen, but we know that's, not a, that's a very difficult place to come in and play and play well. So that, that's my big question mark. The other side, I mean, I think you still have Tonka Hemingway, who's not going to go through practice. Uh, you got Boogie Huntley, who I think can make plays. You mentioned the edges, they'll be okay. Depth inside is a concern for me. You're definitely going to have to get – who's the, the, the freshman? Is it uh, the freshman D-line? Xavier McLeod is his name coming yeah, in? I mean, yeah, somebody mm-hmm. like that's going to have to help that D-line to come into play because they just don't have the numbers inside to survive an SEC season. They're going to need help from some young kids – on the D-line, maybe on the offensive line, and maybe a tight end as well. I also think they have some concerns in the secondary because they are going to lose a couple of corners in the NFL draft here. And so when you look at – you combine some problems maybe on the D-line and the lack of pass rush and some inexperienced players in the secondary, especially early in the season, there could be some defensive struggles. As for the Yale transfer, based on my experience, football players at Yale are kind of dorks. I don't know if we should expect much <laughs> from him. So – <laughs> you think- I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this you go to the south carolina roster right now and pull it up and go to number 69 and you tell me if you nice. tell that to that dude's face hell no but he's not that's looking uh, at him that, that's a um you know barton Vincent, Seven? our guy barton yeah yeah so uh, barton used to be on this show before he we went to vandy so we we, we got to dig at him lady yell like a nerd <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, Yeah, let's hit the break. Coming up on the other side, we will not talk about any more nerds from Yale, but we will talk about the SEC West teams in the spring practice this weekend. Next. All right. So looking around the SEC West at some of the games going on this weekend, one of the more interesting spots to me is at Arkansas. Kendall Browse is gone. You've got Dan Enos coming in to run the offense. And this was a team that the last few years has been very explosive on the offensive side of the football with KJ Jefferson. Are you, what are your thoughts going in with this Razorbacks team with Enos running the OC? Obviously he's got experience. He's been to, he's been the OC at the school before, but what are your expectations for the hogs going into 2023? It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough decision and a, and a tough ask because kind of similar to South Carolina every year. I feel like Arkansas has one of the most difficult schedules in the country every year. Like who in their right mind sends you to BYU on the road in the middle of an SEC schedule? Like it just, it's, it's nonsensical that it should ever happen. They'll get BYU again, but they'll get them at home. Um, I like the Dan Enos hire. I think Kendall Browse is one of the best in college football, but Dan Enos will be a little bit different. We've seen him be heavy quarterback run in the Mac. We've seen him be kind of, spread-ish. We've seen him be West Coast-ish sort of pro style. But the main reason that I like bringing him in is, and a lot of people forget this, when when Jalen Hurts f- figured out how to throw a football at Alabama, Dan Enos was the guy that was there helping him do mm-hmm. it. And so I, I do think technically and fundamentally, 
there is still a little bit of development left in K.J. Jefferson outside of just being a powerful runner or having the arm strength to make certain throws. And Dan might be able to get some of that out of him. And he doesn't feel like someone who comes in and says, hey, I'm going to run my system no matter what, no matter what players we have. He'll, he'll cater it to their strengths. And they got a massive strength in Rocket Sanders in the backfield. I mean, I, I think he and Judkins are the two best running backs returning in the SEC. He's a guy that you can lean on 25, 35 a game if he needs to go there. Now, you lose your best offensive lineman at center, but you have some experience coming back. The tight end thing, I'm really interested to see because Trey Knox was big for them last year. Not a dominant blocker, but he would at least get in there and give you the effort. And the weapons on the perimeter. Like, if you ask me right now, give me the one thing you're watching for Arkansas in their spring game, I want to see perimeter weapons. And a lot of people will say secondary because that secondary was bad, bad last year. Mm -hmm. It was. But I want to see the guys on the outside because if they're going to win games, they're going to win games with offense. Elite quarterback, elite tailback, and then do they have enough guys around them to be able to go win games? I think Travis Williams gets the defense a little bit better. They're going to move to more of an even front. I think that'll help them up just from an alignment standpoint. When they were good under Barry, they had to have that guy at nose guard. It was Richardson like four years ago, and then here comes Ridgeway after that. They get lucky again. But then we saw last year when they didn't have that guy, they couldn't really play that way. And so – you have you get a Georgia DB coming in. It's going to start at corner. You got some guys that have been around that I think are going to start at, at corner and safety. So that position, if it's a little bit better, the defense will be fine. You don't have a Drew Sanders, but I think collectively the defense can take some strides. But they're going to win with offense, and I think they have to have guys on the outside if they're going to be able to do it. By the way, we caught a couple one-star reviews from Arkansas fans about <laughs> June or July of last year when I was like, eh. I don't think they have that dude messes everybody up at nose on the inside. And uh, if you guys can go edit those one or two star reviews into five stars <laughs> and maybe give us a new five star Arkansas fans for how exactly how right we were about that. Because um, I remember I was Fan, like, fans are never wrong though, bud. That's, no, that's that's. I mean, like, come on, guys. Like, we're, we're not just randomly throw it. Like, I'm going to pick Arkansas and have a nose guard this year. Like, like I'm guessing about that. You know, <laughs> you know we have we we have a long history of hating it. Arkansas nose guards. Let's they, not. They think we it. hate them. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you you kind of think KJ has like real quarterback ability, not Kendall Bryles creation type ability, I, or do you think yeah, they're just going to run the hell at him? Listen, I think Kendall helped a lot, and what he does with visual deception, the tempo helps a little bit. He gives you a lot of simple high percentage throws, but I just think from a skill set. I think KJ has the ability to be a great college quarterback. Now, it's going to be interesting to see him in a new system that maybe does ask a little bit more of him as far as reading more than half of a field and, and diagnosing defenses in a different way. But what I believe is that with Cody Kennedy still coaching that offensive line, Sam still being there, a lot of those guys returning, an elite tailback and a quarterback that gives you a, 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 a run threat, not just on the perimeter, but also between the tackles, that's going to force defenses to play you a way that should open up some throws for him. Once again, they had, I mean, how long have we been hearing about Matt Landers? You guys know who first told me about Matt Landers? Jake Somebody Fromm at Georgia. in a meeting yeah. Yeah. before a game. Jake Fromm, he said, he's Randy Moss in practice. That was like 11 years ago. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he can't, he can't do it at Toledo. He didn't do it at Georgia. And look how good he was for Arkansas last year. I mean, he was huge. So I – do they have those kind of guys that can step up and have that kind of a year? I'm not really sure. They need one or two. And, and I do think KJ can put together a pretty good season. 
Matt Landers is kind of a reason why you can't totally sell the idea of Joe Milton being healthy. I just I'm speak to this because they're both Florida guys. You know, like I, I'd seen Landers. We always knew physically he was freaky, but just the production wasn't necessarily there. Like like Cole said, didn't get it out of him. Joe Milton, horrible completion percentage in high school. Like the kind of tool set that gets coaches fired, right? Michigan can't make it work. He starts as the starter for Tennessee, doesn't throw the ball well at all. But like Tennessee's staff is confident that they've worked on his mechanics, his accuracy, and they they think he's going to be good. So, I, I I mean yeah, like some of the, there's reasons sometimes these guys that were five stars coming out of high school that don't do a damn thing in college still get picked fifth, sixth round because the NFL teams see the same stuff that we saw. It's like well, this guy we know can't work. This guy potentially could work. So I'm I'm curious to see if they can get yet yeah, like another level out of Landers there at Arkansas. Also. But they had fifth the round. We're, we're, do, we're, we're doing that in the first round this year. We're doing that yeah. in the first 10 picks this year. That's I mean, true. we got, we got guys that'll be gone by five. I'm telling you right now, you know, and some people put Levis into that category. He's played more quarterback, but still it, it's, it's based on how far and how hard you can throw it and how fast you can run and how you're built. So that's, we, we still get, have that conversation in the NFL draft in the early rounds of, is it worth taking – I had this conversation with a buddy of mine. And I said, I, I think that now more than ever, because you're getting more players from more places and more guys are doing more things away from the actual field, seven-on-seven, seven, quarterback coach, you know, throwing in the indoor facility, whatever that is, that we're making more decisions based on player or ability. And I, I think for a long time it was just, we just want the player. Yeah. And then we started looking at both, and now I think – it's one of the reasons all these guys coach. No coach doesn't believe their way works. That's why mm-hmm. you can call it arrogance or whatever, but every coach thinks their way works. So when they see intangibles that no other human on earth has, they sit there and say, well, my way will work with this guy. We'll get him in and he can do those things and we'll have all the success in the world. So, I, I mean, I don't think that changes even in the first round, bud. I think that's fair. All right, I, I want to take you to – the program that has the most dramatic scheme shift going. Like, like Bryles to Enos is somewhat dramatic, but this one is really pretty out there. So Mississippi State, Mike Leach tragically passes, you know, during the season, RIP to the Pirate. They go ahead and hire internally Zach Arnett, who I thought was a pretty good defensive coordinator and really matured at, at his time there. Like he used to just blitz every like just just like like a crazy person. And I thought kind of tempoed it better last year. Now we get to see what he'll do as a head coach. But I kind of wonder, like, how much did he hate working for Mike Leach? Because the OC he went out and hired could not be more different than the offense Mississippi State ran. Like, literally, other than the triple option, going to get Appalachian State's offense, which is like, we're going to run on first, run on second, maybe run again on third. Uh, This is very different. Do you have any feel for how this is going to go? Nope. None. I mean, bigger scheme shift on offense, Mississippi State or Wisconsin. Mm. Totally flip flop too. Mississippi State, I would go with, but I think it's close. Yeah, I don't think at he... least Wisconsin run will still run the ball some. Like Wisconsin did throw the ball once in a while. Like yeah. Mississippi State never did. <laughs> they so tried it... to, they tried to throw it more last year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they did try. Um, I don't think I don't think Zach hated working for him because there was one point late in the year last year we had them and we asked him and he said that. Uh, Leach came down on one third down and said something like, don't blitz. And he said, it was the first time I've talked to him on the field all year. It was like week eight. He's like, first time he and I have conversated on, on the actual field. So, but I, I do think he, he now brings a 
defensive mind to the head coach position. He wants to protect his side of the ball. It's his group. Those are his guys. And he probably wants to run a little bit of clock. He wants the ability to play four-minute offense and wants the ability to maybe get more first downs than he is throwing touchdown passes. But let's just let's start with the offensive line. You got guys that have been taking 60 or 70 vertical pass sets a game and now mm-hmm. are going to be running stretch play 30 or 40 times a game. Uh, you know, play action is going to come a real thing. Will Rogers, Will Rogers went, ran the air raid in high school. So we got Will Rogers under center. We got Will Rogers turning his back to a defense in play action. Will Rogers running an actual bootleg. I don't know if he had ever done any of those. Uh, seriously, if he had ever done any of those things in his football career. So it's going to be so different that I, I have no idea, no feel. I know that App State offense really well. If it's Dwayne Ledford at NC State or Satterfield or any of those guys, I, I know they use tight ends a lot. And I know State hasn't had tight ends in quite some time. <laughs> so I, I think the skill position can be fine if utilized correctly. But I, I haven't seen these backs run stretch play and know how to cut it back or know how to bounce it or have a feel for not going 100 miles an hour as soon as they get the football. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see because a lot of talent's back on defense. You lose one of the best corners in college football, but up front, they'll be fine. And I agree with you. He was – Zach was more responsible with that defense last year because two years ago, it, w- it was not responsible. I mean, it, it was just, I'm going to try to create something on every play, and I really don't care, you know, what the result of that is. If it's, if it's a negative one, we'll come back and try it the next time. But it, there are not a lot of guys that fit – traditionally with what they have done, what they are going to want to do on offense. Doesn't mean that they can't. And I I love Will Rogers. I think he's vastly underrated. I think he's super accurate. I think he's accurate. Everybody who just says, oh, he dinks and dunks, like put the Kentucky game from 20 on and watch him push the ball down the field. Put the Auburn game on two years ago when they had that comeback and watch how he attacks the middle of the field down the field over and over and over again. I think he's a great college quarterback. It's just is he a great college quarterback not running the air raid? We don't know the answer to that. So I know we have a starred question here that Mississippi State fans have been on uh, been on me about. Jordan, throw that up there on the screen if you could. All right, so Bud thinks Zach Arnett is Will Muschamp part due. Uh, does Cole think of the Mississippi State coach? Did State make a mistake moving away from the air raid? We covered kind of this. And my, my point on this, and I, I, not that I expect you to rip, Zach Arnett, because we don't know. I, and I, I'm not saying that I think he definitely is. I'm just like, when you are at a non-resourced SEC program, and by that I mean like the programs that do not go out there and get the four and five stars. If your plan is we're going to out-tough you and we're going to physically pound you, that typically has not worked. Stoops has done the best job of it, but he's in the East. In the West, it is tougher because like we know Gus is going to get some real dudes. Not, not Gus, excuse me. Freeze is going to get some real dudes there at Auburn. LSU's got him, and him like that's one spot where they don't suck is D line, right? Bama's gonna have them. Can, can this like physical toughness, run the ball plan work at a Mississippi State? Because we saw it at South Carolina, and it was terrible. Yeah, I think um, we saw this. Well, I mean, App State beat South Carolina in the time that you're talking about, so maybe it okay. can work. Um, you know, we we have seen State be this team before. When I was playing college football, this is exactly who they were. Like, we're going to have this – Jolie Dome is running the defense. We're coming out of nowhere. We might not have a person with their hand on the ground. 
And we're Dante Walker and these guys are going to get the ball 40 times a game and we're going to have bigger, badder, meaner dudes than you. You, know, you might be more athletic and your scheme might be able to take advantage of all that, but you are not going to want to fight us. And I agree with you on Stoops. Like his blueprint has been you, there might be better, more talented defenses, but we're not the one that you want to see in an alley. Um, so it can work to an extent, but at some point in time, you have to match athleticism and you have to match talent or have more than some other teams if you're going to be able to consistently find ways to win games. What I do like about this scheme is, yes, it's run heavy, but you don't have to have a bunch of Quinn Nelsons to be able to be successful doing it. You know, it's, it's, it's much more about a feel and about continuity and a gel and a back that gets it and understands it and then taking advantage of everything around it because you can widen the surface of the defense, which open things up inside. You can force them to play the backside with bootlegs and quarterback keeps and replays. And then you get your shot plays down the field with your heavy play action. So, but keep those guys, these guys haven't done any of that. So that's what I think makes it a little bit more difficult. As far as Zach Garnett as a head coach, I've, there's no way to know. It, it, but it is interesting, like the must champ comparison, because you think about Will's influence. I mean, he had, everybody just says Saban, but he was under Bill Oliver before he was under Nick Saban. So he's been around a lot of brilliant defensive minds. Then he goes to Texas. Well, you got all the Rocky Long influence and everything with Zach Garnett. Like he's had brilliant defensive minds he's been around who have also been other good head coaches. So I don't I don't know if it's a contrast of what that what he's gonna be as a head coach. Um, I don't even know if he has a T Rob to be able to go out and get him a bunch of talent. But you know, it's 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 gonna be tough either way because it's a massive switch, a massive overhaul. And like you said, it's a style that has has not been overly effective for a lot of SEC teams that traditionally don't just have better guys than you do. All right, Cole, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, I tweeted out a graphic breaking down the true SEC title contenders this year. And it's just for this year for folks uh, listening or watching at home. And if you are on the audio side, I'll read the graphic to you so that we're not just a total YouTube show today. Uh, all right, SEC championship tiers should win Georgia. Need to play to their potential, Bama LSU. Need to play to their potential and have injuries to the above teams, Tennessee and AM. No shot, the other nine. Am I wrong on this? If so, where am I wrong? I would I would place I would I would take Arkansas and maybe Kentucky and put them in the need injuries to above teams category. Um and main the main reason I say that is. I don't think they are where the rest of those teams are in that category. So I think they're further away from the bottom, and they might not be closer to Alabama LSU or even to Tennessee and A&M, but I do think they're further away than the rest of the collection in that tier. Um, so if I made a category that said miracle season possible, Arkansas, yeah. Kentucky would be in that category. Correct. And then, like, yes, like I, miracles ain't happening the other seven. Probably, yeah. I would agree with that. What, like, where do most people have the most issue? Um, they really I don't mean, think Tennessee and AM have any shot. Like, they want to move them down into the can't win category. And I just think, like, guys, TCU played for the national title last year. Like, things yeah, happen right. in college football. If AM or Tennessee played a potential and, you know, Bama or Georgia get some injuries or LSU gets a bunch of injuries, they could easily do it. Not easy. I would almost, like it's, it's and if you're, I mean, possible. if you're, if you're ranking that tier of of where you're going with this graphic, I would almost have A and M slightly ahead of Tennessee right now, 
just because I think collectively they have more that could be problematic on a Saturday than Tennessee does. Like, look at look at what Georgia's defense did to Tennessee last year. Like, where were the other ways that Tennessee could have won that game? There, there, really, there weren't any. Are they going to win a game on defense this year? Absolutely not. Are they going to win a game with their running back this year? Probably not. Are they going to win a game because their offensive line is great? No. A&M has a chance to have a great offensive line. They have receivers who can take over a game. I think they have a quarterback who's really good. They have a defensive line they can take over a game. Now, am I worried about second and third level of the defense? Yes, I am. But I think there are more variables for A&M to go out and more parts of their team to be great on any given Saturday than Tennessee right now. Now, I mean, listen, Joe Milton's got a ton of a ton of ability and the receiver up position's apparently been upgraded through the portal. I don't really know how it's going to look, but I just I feel like Tennessee has to have one thing working really well to beat you. And there's a good chance that AM has more chances with this team to be able to do that this season. Now here's the here's the difference. I think from a culture perspective, Tennessee's ahead of AM right now. And I think there are more guys that are on board that know how to act and know how to get things done and know how to win games than potentially at A&M. A&M, that's still a massive question mark. Now, I do think that there has been some addition by subtraction, and some of those guys that were preventing that are out. So maybe they can take that step in that department, but it's still a big unknown. I will if say – factor in path, do, would you still have A&M over Tennessee? <laughs> Because I feel like the path in the East, you only need one team to screw up. That team is Georgia. That's like, fair. I mean, yeah, you're going to need Alabama and LSU to falter for A&M. But you still you play those teams. So if you're good enough, then you, you're, you're in control of, of knocking them off that pedestal. So is the path a little bit easier in the East? Probably, yeah. I mean, that's, Tennessee still has to play Alabama and Georgia, though. You know? I, I just and they play A&M. Yes. I just wanted to give our producer, Baby Moon, credit. I don't know if you've met Baby Moon Cole, but he literally has the Tennessee orange and white checkerboard face tattoo. Like, he's that big of a Tennessee fan. So the fact that Tennessee wasn't put on the tier with Georgia when he made this graphic off of Bud Tears, I want to give him credit for that. Um, I'm shocked oh. he didn't mute Cole uh, when, when, when Cole suggested they <laughs> over Tennessee. But this is like, we, we had no technical glitches here today. That's that's quite the restraint. Baby Moon. <laughs> he's he's learning. He's, he's becoming more professional every episode, and we appreciate Appreciate him for well, this it. Is why I went, this is why I went with LSU last year. And, and people were like, no, they can't. No, it's not. And I just say, just very plain and simple. Most talented roster in the league. All right, let's go. Georgia, Bama, then who? Last year it was LSU. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, that was, it, it was. Watch the draft this year. It'll, it'll be proven. Now, so where would you go with Tennessee and Texas A&M? Top to bottom, most talented roster. I don't A&M. really think it's even a debate. Yeah. yeah. It's A&M. So you have to consider teams like that if they figure just a few things out. They can take a jump like LSU did last year because they just have dudes to be able to go out and do it. I, this is like what we did the little video of me putting the clown makeup on and, and turning my ticket in for Texas A&M 60-1 to 1 win the Natty again. Like, all right, you're going to lose some money again. Can't, can't quit you guys because, you know, like. Yeah, it's, um, we'll see on that one. 
Well, Cole, this has been great. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. And before we let you go, I did want to say, just so you know, like the crew, you, Tom Hart, and Jordan Rogers are one of my favorite booths yeah. every single weekend during the fall. I make it a point every Saturday to try to get you guys on one of my screens, even if I don't have to watch the game for work, just because I enjoy you guys that much. So it's really great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for, you know, just spending an hour with us on a Wednesday. Afternoon. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, our crew is a lot of fun, and I appreciate you guys having me. I'd love to do it anytime. Any uh, any other things you you want you want to promo? Uh, I got a podcast going on Sundays, Cube Show YouTube. You can find it at Cube Show Six One, or just search Cube Show. Um, I feel like we need more college football content on Sundays, so I'm I'm dropping that just once a week, just every Sunday. Twitter, Instagrams, Cube Show. So please give us a follow. I think I've like ramped up to. A thousand subscribers, so we're really crushing it over there. We're trying to trying to trying to get it going. We're just a lowly college football podcast trying to make something happen. Nice, been there. <laughs> so awesome! Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, that's Cole Kubelik. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Tom Fredelli, and we will be back tomorrow to discuss more spring games and probably answer some of your questions. Thanks.